0: Good morning, everyone. In our day and age, relationships are hard. I mean, they've always been hard, but the world always gets busier as we get older. Think about romantic relationships for a moment. They're not easy. They're hard to start, and they're hard to find, and they're hard to keep. Think about relationships that you have to have. Family can be hard to love, but they're your family. Bosses and coworkers are hard to love, but you need your job. Sometimes church families are hard to love, but you're united with them through Christ. Sometimes you endure relationships because you have to, but there's one kind of relationship that's far easier to maintain, a relationship that people long for, a relationship that many people feel like they don't have. And this kind of relationship is known as a friendship. So as we continue our series through home life, we wanted to look at how we can consider our friends, whether they're Christian or not, and examine this often overlooked relationship. My lifelong best friend and I have done so many things over the years. I could tell you a lot of stories that we have together. I could tell you his aspirations, and his fears, and his goals. I could tell you some of his embarrassing stories, uh, but I can also tell you things that he's done which inspire me. And one time, we were watching a movie. I tend to enjoy the romantic and sentimental movies more, and he's not as much into that. He likes action a lot more than that. But as we watched it, this movie was about uh, a man who had this epic night hanging out with this, uh, this girl and pranking half of a town, but after that night, she disappeared. The guy spends the rest of the movie looking for clues for where she's gone, and along the way, his friends help him. They encourage him, but they start to challenge him when he becomes obsessive over his search. As the movie is starting to end, the, my friend said to me, um, okay, Troy, so... This movie is kind of good, but but, but if, he, if he deserts his friends for her, I'm going to hate this movie. This is, ugh, I don't like that. And though I'd already seen the ending of the movie, what he said was, was really insightful. Friendships are implicitly less valued, and this movie knew that and capitalized on that idea. Watching the movie was a great understanding of how friends work. Today's generation struggles to have friends. I recall hearing someone say that Jesus' most impressive miracle was having 12 friends in his 30s. <laughs> Why is it that friendship seems so rare? And what is a friendship? Looking at that biblically, the word is such a wide range that it could mean so much. A friend could be an associate who has a personal relationship with you. It could be someone who has mutual reciprocity. It can be someone who you don't know, but seconds you on your behalf, like in a court case. A friend can be someone who agrees with you, even when it's not right. In the book of Esther, we see that Haman's friends agree with him and follow his wealth and his social standing, and they encourage him to hang uh, Mordecai on the gallows. But a friend can also be someone who does what's right, even when you don't want it. And the word for friendship can re- could refer to a fair-weathered companion, or it could be someone who is loyal and devoted to you. Job's friends seemed to be close buddies with him, and they shared a week of mourning with him when he was going through his trials, but they didn't give him wise counsel. And finally, a friend can be someone who shares an ethnic community with you. So instead of looking at this word, which I think is far too broad, I'd rather look at how scripture uses it to see how we can understand a friendship. And I'll be all over scripture today, so there's gonna be a lot of verses on screen. Um, but we'll start in the book of Proverbs, and, and I will go through that for a while. So, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 is where I'm gonna start. The theme of friendship that we'll see throughout the book of Proverbs is to beware of false friends and to seek friends who endure. Listen to the way that Proverbs will encourage you to seek friends who are wise, who are upright who are godly and endure hard circumstances to avoid those who lead astray. You want to beware of false friends and to seek friends who endure. And that's what brings us to Proverbs 12, verse 26. It says, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. When you choose friends, seek righteousness. Righteousness. Whether you are reaching out and you're making friends or someone is reaching out to you, make sure that they have uh, a solid grasp on righteousness. Consider their godliness. Is he a man who is seeking after righteousness? Is she someone who delights in doing what's good? Does this friend group cultivate upright thoughts, resist temptations, and avoid wickedness? Next, Proverbs 13, chapter, or verse 20. Um, 1320 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. This parallels what Proverbs 1226 just said, just as we must seek righteousness, we must be wise. A way to gain wisdom is to be around others who are wise, just like the way to become foolish and sinful is to be around those who are foolish and sinful. Proverbs, or Psalm 1-1 also talks about this, right? Blessed is he who delights in the Lord and flees from wickedness and from sinners and from scoffers. If you're seeking after God, seek wisdom. Seek God's counsel. Read God's word. Meditate on it. Delight in it and find others who do the same. John Piper asks two really good questions when considering who you're friends with. His first question is, what way is the transforming influence flowing? Do you encourage people to live in a godly and upright way, or the opposite? Second, he asks, are we loving these people for their sake, or do we really love them because we love what they enjoy and we want to join them in their worldliness? I think those are helpful questions to consider. Getting back to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. It says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Character matters, both for you and for others. Seek to be honest and be with honest people. Be truth tellers. Rumors bring people to ruin. Dishonesty destroys friendship. And trust is hard to build, but it's really easy to lose. Be filled with integrity and and encourage those around you to do the same. Following this is Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, and it says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You're not going to be a perfect friend, but you should strive to be a better and godlier friend. But when there are repeat offenses and the relationship starts to strain, then bad character is going to lead to bad relationships. And that's why you need to beware of false friends and to seek friends who endure. Friendship like that, where offenses are repeated over and over and over, prove to be friendships that don't go deep and don't last. A few verses down in Proverbs 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. True friends stick closer than family. Find people who are willing to stay with you even in the hardest times. Tim Challies wrote a short article called, Why Are Your Friends Your Friends?, And in it, he asks a great question. Are you friends with your friends for the sake of your friends? Or are you friends with your friends for the sake of yourself? The friends you have, are they willing to stand by your side, even in the hardest situations? And are you willing to stand with them? That's what the book of Proverbs is encouraging you to consider. A real friend loves at all times. A real friend endures. How many deep friendships do you have? Proverbs 18 verse 24 is a great text to hear. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Notice that it says a man of many companions. This isn't encouraging you to pare down your circle of friends to just have a few. What it's saying is that deep friendships abide. Real friendships go far deeper. It's better to have a few good friends than to have many people who you simply enjoy the company of. Very few, if any, here could tell me that all of the friends you have on social media uh, are close enough for you to share your deepest thoughts and your desires and your fears with. Again, I'm not encouraging you to reject people, but to look at this text and remember that you want to go with deep friendships that you can rely on at all times. Proverbs 19 verse 4 says that wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Fair-weathered friends are the ones who are there when things are going well, but abandon you when times get tough. They're false friends. They're not friends. Seek to have friends who care about you. Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 said: a friend loves at all time. So friendships aren't transactional. They're not just a friend, they're a business connection. You'll likely go and find uh, that if you have friends, you will go back and forth with each other. But if you have a friendship based on what you can receive and what they can receive from you, then you're missing the relational components. That's a companion, but it's not a friend. And if you think about the friends you do have, Proverbs 20:19 reveals some wisdom to consider. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Be wise in what you share with people and what your friends tell you in confidence. This isn't an encouragement to isolate and shut out others from your friendships. In fact, it's the opposite. Your friendships should grow and expand outwards. Unlike marriages where you have a covenant commitment for the husband of wife, which is designed to be exclusive and one-on-one, friendships become better when they're able to expand and join together. If you've joined a small group, you know that we're going through the series uh, Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury, and he has done a really good job in fleshing this out. He writes, My friendship with even a closest friend is not threatened by the growth of a similar friendship with someone else. It is not a zero-sum game. In fact, the opposite is often the case. A couple years ago, a close friend and I were planning a hiking trip to Scotland. As the trip approached, he suggested another friend of his come and join us. This friend knew a whole side to my friend that I did not and brought out a whole new side of him. I hadn't seen it before. It was better than it would have been if it had just been the two of us. When you care for your friends and you want to care for them well, then keep their secrets. Open yourself up to see them in ways that you haven't before and you'll gain better friendships. They aren't friendships that you want to squander away by unwise or needless rumors. Be open to ask for prayer and to, to dispel rumors and gossip, but uphold the dignity of your friends. Proverbs 22, verses 14, or, uh, 24 and 25 uh, say, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and be entangled or, and, and entangle yourself in a snare. And this makes sense, right? It's in line with what everything else has said. Seek friends who have good character. So here, we're told to find friends who are temperate and not prone to anger. We know that our anger is almost always sinful, and it shows a lack of self-control for a man or a woman who is easily given into anger. They have less grace, and they cultivate a sense of fear in others. They cause unease and unrest, and anger breaks down and destroys friendships. Anger erodes friendships that are meant to endure. We continue in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. And it says, My son, fear the Lord and the King, and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Check the way that your friends talk about God. Even if they claim to be Christians, do they fear God? Do they give him proper honor? Do they respect him? Do they ascribe to him the power and glory that he's due? Do your non-Christian friends mock a God? Do they say things that stick in your mind? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us that bad companies corrupt good morals. And the psalmist of Psalm 1, again, tells us to not make company with the wicked and the sinful and the scoffers. Friends like these change the way you think, and your friendships will have an impact on your mind and your actions and your soul. Proverbs 27 has a few verses to look at. Look at verse 6 with me. It says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. As we beware false friends and we seek friends who endure, this text reminds us that it's not always easy. Sometimes your friends will say things that you don't want to hear. True friends will tell you what you need to hear. They will spur you on towards righteousness, even when they're being harsh towards you. They're better than the greatest praises that are half-heartedly said or encouragement that leads you down the wrong path. Jumping to verse 9 of Proverbs 27, it says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Good friends strive to give good advice and provide honest feedback. In verse 10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Longtime friends are worth keeping since they stay involved in your life and know you best. They're the ones who can speak with more wisdom than those who don't see you. Continuing in 27, uh, we have verse 17, and it says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And this is possibly the most famous proverb when it comes to friendships. True friendships seek to strengthen one another, even when the process is painful. The reward is that you are mutually built up, and both are better as individuals as you become better together. Concluding our overview in Proverbs is chapter 29, verse 3. It says, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. As with the rest of the book, the proverb here is teaching us that wisdom is worth seeking. And that's the focus of the book, right? Gain wisdom. And as we see on the topic of friendship, Proverbs, continual wisdom is to beware of false friends and to seek friends who endure. False or find friends who are righteous, who are wise, who are godly and involved. Find friends who are willing to speak for truth, to follow up, to stick around, and be a friend like that to others, and seek men and women who are willing to do that for you as well. Okay, so that was a lot of the book of Proverbs to cover, and uh, I want to do something that's hopefully a little fun, slightly different than usual, so indulge me for a moment. I'm going to ask you to think of something, and I'm going to give you a a few moments to consider it. First, I want you to think of your closest non-Christian friend. And I'm sure many of you have already been thinking about them, and so it might not be difficult, but for some it might be a little challenging. But try to find someone who has not come to believe in Christ. And then after that, I want you to think about your least favorite Christian person. And I know that sounds strange, but think about both of those for a moment. Okay, thanks for thinking through that. I'm sure that it wasn't easy for some of you, um, but um, thank you. It was, it was really helpful for that. I'll get back to that. Maybe that non-Christian person is you. And if that's the case, then you should go through the list of qualities that we just went through um, and compare them to Jesus, who is found throughout the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John in the New Testament. I trust that you'll see that his character lines up with what we just learned about he was in fact a friend to those who were rejected. He was a friend to people who had no friends and deserved no friends, and were given a second chance. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John taught that he ate with tax collectors and with sinners, and he became a friend to all and discipled, uh, or he even discipled one of them. That that man was named Matthew, the one who wrote the same book of Matthew that I recommended. Matthew records that Jesus did something for him so spectacular that I would be a fool and a false friend if I didn't share that with you first. Matthew chapters 27 and 28 talk about the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And these chapters show the wickedness in the heart of men. Jesus was wrongfully hung on a cross to pay for sins that he did not commit. And these chapters show the greatest good that has ever happened, the greatest news that could ever exist. Jesus took our punishment for us. 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, "For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." Jesus knew that we needed a friend, so he died so that others may be set free. Romans 5:6 and 8 say or 6 through 8 say that for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And that's us. We are the ungodly. That message is for everyone. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, one may dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was the greatest friend that we never deserved. He died so that you may be free from sin and death, and John 15, 13 through 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What incredible news that we have this hope that John shares earlier in chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous passage of Scripture, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, in order that the world would be saved through him. My friends, Jesus was a friend of sinners, and as a sinner, he is my friend, and if you trust in him for your salvation, then he can be your friend too. There's no greater friend than you can have. Believe in him and find life in his name and trust him that he will save you. There's no greater love than this. The love found in the friendship of God that is given to you is of more value than the most intimate relationship that you've ever had. It's greater than marrying your spouse. It's greater than sex. It's greater than love for your child or for your children. You get to be friends with God. What could be greater than that? Nothing. He is greater. He is so much greater. Brothers and sisters who have trusted in Christ, we cannot neglect friendship as it has been first given to us now we get to give it to others think back to that question that i asked you about a few moments ago your most beloved non-christian friend and your least favorite christian i want to address christians and non-christians now but we're going to start with the non-christians in your life notice that throughout the book of proverbs that there were warnings of false friends and not warnings against having non-christian friends it's right and good to have non-christian friends We have been created in God's image, and they have been created in God's image just as much as you and your Christian friends have been. But when it comes to your non-Christian friends, remember this. God uses you to reveal himself to them. For most of you, God put a Christian in your life so that you would come to believe in him. And he could have done anything else, but instead he decided to do it this way. He um made you that friend for others. He chose you to be his instrument. God uses you to reveal himself to them. Scripture has some things to say on non-Christian friendships, and for them I'll start with some encouragement. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world, for the for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This plea from Paul is an encouragement to care for the world. Be ready to speak kindly with grace and wisdom so that you can answer the question in the heart of the people who you're around. Remember that people are not going to listen unless they feel loved, so listen to them and and respond appropriately. You should have non-Christian friends because you live in the world. John 17 reminds us that as Christians, we still live in this world. Scripture assumes that you're going to have non-Christian friends, and Jesus did not pray that we're going to be taken out of the world, but that Christians would be kept from evil as they continue to live in the world. This does not mean that you're a friend of the world, but you are a friend of those who are in the world. Mark 12, 31 also teaches that non-Christians matter. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is a quick reminder that God loves you and that you should love others as God has loved you. And it's also a reminder that since everyone is your neighbor, as the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches, non-Christians are your neighbors whom you must love. As we mentioned earlier, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners like Matthew, and he was visiting Zacchaeus in, Matthew, in, in Luke 19, and he talked with the woman at the well in John 4, who was a social outcast, and he cared for her. He cared for all of them. He was even labeled a friend of sinners in Luke 7, verse 34. Unlike Jesus, we can fall prey to our sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 6:14 through 15 gives us a warning, and it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, which also means Satan? um, Or what has, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Be careful in who you closely bind with yourself. One man asked me, "Is it okay to have a non-Christian as your closest friend?" And this verse should at least give us some caution. Close friends who are non-Christians are not wrong, this verse is asking who you depend on. How much do they influence your morality or your spirituality? For most of us, or for most non-Christian, best friends are going to be hard, harder to keep, and some it's going to be unwise to have. The depth of your friendships will always be lesser with a non-Christian than with one who is a brother or sister in Christ. The second half of James 4 4 relates to this. It says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, see the difference between being a friend of the world and being a friend to those who are in the world. But also see the danger that is so easily able to creep in if you're not careful. The world is hostile towards God. Your non-Christian friends do not love him. In fact, Ephesians 2 mentions that we were once part of the world and we hated God, following the power of Satan instead. Our non-Christian friends are in that. But just as we have been pulled out of the world, you have hope for your friends. The end of James 5.16 until verse 20 explains it. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him be or let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Pray for your friends. Plead with God that he would fill your friends with his Holy Spirit. Pray that they would trust Christ to save them. Pray that they would seek after God with their whole heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. Your prayers are powerful. However, there are instances where you have a friend who has rejected God and is hostile towards him. A friend who causes you to become like him or her, a toxic relationship that rots your soul and you're not forgotten either. Jesus has some difficult words here in Mark 10, 29, and 30, but there's a great promise. It says, "'Truly I say to you that there is no one "'who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, "'or mother, or father, or children, or lands, "'for my sake and for the gospel, "'who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, "'houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, "'and children, and lands, with persecutions, And in the age to come, eternal life. You can't water down the gospel to avoid offending them. They're offended by the message of the gospel itself. And this is a hard truth when you think about leaving your friends. But the promise is by far worth this pain. Rachel Gilson comments on this passage saying, We might feel discouraged about the idea of leaving precious relationships. About having them so altered that they never again provide the same sense of comfort and home that they once did about potentially being banished from them. We are not crazy to feel this. God made us for community. To weigh the cost of losing a community is to grasp the radical nature of discipleship. Everyone who enters Christ must leave behind the treasures of their former life. You are created for community. Even God experiences friendship in community. The Trinity is the perfect relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existing in eternal friendship. So as you think about your non-Christian friends, commit to pray for them and to trust that God can transform their hearts. Seek and pray that God uses you to reveal himself to them so that they too might become a friend of God. And the best community for a Christian is the friendship that is found amongst believers in the local church. And just as with non-Christians where God uses you to reveal himself to them, God uses your Christian relationships too. In fact, God uses them to reveal himself to you. We'll look at a few friendships found in scripture to show the character of God illuminated through friendships. I hope this encourages you in your Christian friendships because because God uses them to reveal himself to you. And I feel like it would be wrong of me to not mention David and Jonathan at some point. When Jonathan died, David wrote in 2 Samuel 1:26, "I am distressed for you all, or for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love, to me was extraordinary, greater or surpassing the love of women. Friendship like David and Jonathan has surpassed romantic love. To make their friendship illicit, like many have tried to do, demeans the beauty of friendship. I can personally attest that my friend that I talked about at the beginning, my friend Timo, he is someone that I deeply love. A friendship like this is something that, that would take me possibly the rest of my life. And I'm sure that many of you have a friendship like that too. A friendship that you could trust to have through all of this Praise God for friendships like this. I completely understand how David loved Jonathan like this. And since we know that God's love is even greater than that, then we can see that our friendships display the abiding love of God for us, the depth of knowledge that God has about us. Timo and I have had really hard times as well. And we have been bad friends to each other at different points in our life. But we have endured and been strengthened through it. And I trust that God will continue to use our friendships and to strengthen them. And that as we continue to love each other, God will continue to show that he loves us. We can see the friendship found in Ruth and Naomi as well. Ruth 1 records the loyal love and the steadfast faithfulness from Ruth to Naomi. And Naomi's deep desire to care for Ruth. Naomi said to both Ruth and Orpah, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. But Ruth stayed, and she refused to leave, and she proclaims this. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you will go, I will go, and where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. And where, I, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And that's commitment. That is a friendship that endures. Ruth and Naomi stick together through the rest of the book, even after Ruth marries. Ruth's devotion to Naomi and Naomi's God, our God, shows the depth of this friendship. And I can't go into a whole lot more depth, but I'm sure that you can see that when it comes to Christian friendships, God uses them to reveal himself to you. If you read through Paul's letters, you'll actually see that he has a huge circle of friends. Just look at Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Greet Prisca and Aquila. Greet my beloved, I'm so bad at this name, Um, I can't remember, okay, there's a name there. He's not my friend, he's Paul's friend. Um, but but greet Mary, um, and it goes on. Ephesians 6.21, he talks about Tychicus, his beloved brother. Look at the end of his letters, and you'll see that so many names pop up again and again. So remember that it's not, actually, it's not wrong to have many friends, but it's to discern the friends you have and to seek friends that endure, because God uses them to reveal himself to you. So seek Christian friendship. And also, don't be afraid to have a diversity of friends. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. Paul mentions Prisca, who is married, and Mary, who doesn't appear to be married. We should not segregate friendship to only those who fit our demographics. The gospel is for all. Paul was a friend for Jews and for Gentiles and for men and women and married and single. You can find that Jesus has friends like that, like Mary or Lazarus or John and Peter throughout the gospels. And as Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy 5, which reminds me that I haven't even touched his friendship with Timothy or Titus, um, but, but in 1 Timothy 5, it says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. So seek out good friends across the spectrum and love them well. So before we conclude, I suspect that I've given you lots of times now to consider your closest non-Christian friend and your closest Christ, or the, and, the, and the least favorite Christian person, the one that you struggle to love. So I want you to consider this for a moment. In eternity, you will not only live with that Christian person forever, but you're going to have an abundant life filled with joy, and there will be no sadness with that Christian that you may currently despise. It's going to be better than anything that you have ever experienced now. Your love for them will grow into something far more beautiful, far deeper, and far more abiding than even your closest non-Christian friend that you've been thinking about. So that's both incredible for the Christian friend or a Christian companion, but it's sobering when it comes to your non-Christian friend. I'm not trying to guilt you into evangelizing your non-Christian friend, but I do suspect that you deeply hope that that's the case, that, that they could believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for themselves. And so it's my earnest desire that you can share this news with them. They're not a project, of course, but they're beautiful creations of God, loved by him deeply and are made in his image. And that's why we're still here on earth, right? We're here to testify that God loves them and has made a way for them to be reunited with him. So to conclude, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pray, and this prayer draws inspiration from a song. This song was a plea of a writer for his non-Christian friend. Let's pray. Lord, we lift our friends to you. Many of us have done all that we know we can do, and so we offer up our prayers to you now complications of life and the circumstances that they found themselves in have clouded their views and so we lift them up to you. Lord we lament that we don't have the words that our friends need to hear so we ask for your wisdom and how to act and that we pray that our hearts would be sincere towards them. Heavenly Father we lift up our friends to you for some of us our best friends those friends who mean so much to us but even more to you. You know that we would do it for them if we could. We would have them believe, but we can't. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and that they would come to believe since we cannot do that for them. I pray that each of us here will release the control that we wish we had and trust you, our perfect God, to do what you will. Our friends see a way of life that seems right to them, but it leads to false hope. They've been blinded by the world and are following the wrong things. Too blind to see how they've been influenced. So Lord, we lift up our friends to you. And finally, Lord, we also lift up the friendships that we have in Christ and with Christ. And that as we are living with our fellow brother and sisters, that we would see the the, the blessings of being with them. And so I pray that as we are strengthened and we're filled with joy, that we may love each other deeper and greater and wider than we've ever loved each other before. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.